Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So if you were confronted with a really bad guy, a person who was threatening your life or the life of your loved ones, and they had the capacity to do it, would you know what to do to protect yourself or your loved ones? Well, our guest today has been training individuals on this very matter, what to do in these life or death situations. His name is Tim Larkin, and for the past 20 years, he has been teaching self-defense program called target focus training to uh, military special forces around the world, along with law enforcement officers, as well as high profile clientele, uh, including actors and business executives. And target focus training, as we'll find out, is all about using violence to kill someone to disable them so you can come out and survive. Um, so in this podcast, we're going to talk about what target focus training involves and how it's different from sport combat you know, like MMA and things like that. We're going to talk about the mind of a criminal. We're going to talk about the difference between antisocial and asocial violence and how sometimes the best response in some of those, you know, everyday confrontations uh, is just to walk away. And then how do you know when you need to escalate uh, your response in order to protect yourself or your family? And we also talk about why... Studying criminals, people who use violence on a regular basis, is the best way to learn how to use violence to protect yourself. So it's a really fascinating podcast, very interesting. And yes, I'm aware that not too long ago, just two episodes ago, we did a podcast on violence and killing with Dave Grossman. Uh, please don't read any, you know, too much into the scheduling of the podcast. It's just the way the the schedule shook out with guest availability and whatnot. We're not turning into the art of how to how to kill people podcast so don't don't worry that we're going in some weird direction we're not just the way things happen so if this isn't your your thing check back next week because we'll have a a great show as well for there all right with that said i had to say that caveat because i know i'd get emails and tweets complaining about it uh let's get to the show All right, Tim Larkin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Brett. All right, Tim. So can you give a little bit of background on yourself for those who aren't familiar familiar with you or your work? Uh, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually in my, my 26th year of being a, a professional instructor uh, doing this, which is crazy. But um, I got started years ago. I was always an avid martial artist. My, my grandfather uh, was a, a uh, South Boston trained boxer and got me into boxing early on as a, as a young kid. Um, and you know, I always had, I, I was a Navy brat, so I moved all around and got into the Korean martial arts cause that's really all that was available back then. And it wasn't until I got, 
um, into the Navy that uh, I got introduced to, you know, the nexus of, of, of this approach to violence that uh, has become target-focused training. Um, it was an ex-Vietnam vet that I ran into. And uh, it was just completely, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, I went into, I was going into the SEAL teams and I was the number one guy in my class. I was an officer. I had been training since I was 13 years old. I literally lived across from the SEAL base. Um, and so I made friends with all the guys. I knew everything about SEAL training. I knew how to do it. Like we won Hell Week, you know, I was first in everything. And then two weeks before I was going to graduate, um, got into a diving accident, blew my ears uh, uh, in a diving accident, and it just literally just changed my whole life because uh, I no longer was going to be able to be a SEAL officer. I wasn't going to go to the team that I was going to go to, which was the hottest SEAL team at the time. Um, my whole plans had been turned upside down. I just I just thought my life was, as I knew it, at you know a 22-year-old kid, it was over, you know? And actually, it was probably the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it led me down this path, and I get to meet these people. Um, I worked, went and worked for the admiral of uh, the SEAL teams at the time. They kept me in the community because they liked me, and it's the only reason they kept me in. And they had made me a special operations intelligence officer, and they put me in a position because we were in an expansion road in, in the SEAL teams at that time. So they put me in a very senior position, even though I was a very junior officer. It was mainly because I was broken, you know, because I couldn't dive. So they figured, why put a healthy SEAL in this position? We can just use this kid who kind of knows what's, you know, what we're all about, and he can do the work. And so here I was. I was hanging out with these legends of the SEAL teams. And they started looking at a problem in the late, you know, uh, late 80s, early 90s of the fact that the world was changing and that we were going to have to start putting hands on people. They basically predicted what we're dealing with today, warfare wise. And they realized that the current military in the late 80s hadn't really trained to kick doors in, put hands on people, deal with close combat. And so they started looking at that again. And, um, you know, I was in this little group that was exposed to all the different martial arts systems and um, trainers that were available. It was incredible. And by chance, I ended up finding the guy, you know, here's the guy with the least experience. I had no combat experience. I had no, you know, no deployment experience at all. I was just kind of an Intel geek. And I ended up finding the guy right around the corner. We were flying these guys to, to Coronado from all over the world. And the guy we ended up using with for the pilot program literally lived in Pacific Beach about, you know, less than a half a mile away from my apartment. And the only reason I found out about the guy was because a DEA agent called me up, a buddy of mine, and said, hey, are you guys still doing that punchy, kicky stuff? Because everybody back then thought martial arts, you know, was stupid. You just shoot people. Why would you, why would you use martial arts? And I said, yeah, yeah, we are. He goes, hey, well, there's this guy that has a real rep in Pacific Beach. He's a former uh, army guy from Vietnam. He's just crazy. Everybody calls him the mad master. He goes, he goes, but you like him. He goes, you, you get along with personalities like that. You might, you might like this guy. And I went in and basically was just blown away by what I saw. I, I, I walked into what looked like a slow motion prison riot. And even though I was really well trained back then, I saw things going on. I saw one guy, you know, just coming in and basically he kicked the guy, he kicked the guy to the groin, grabbed his head, and then all of a sudden a knife came out of nowhere and he was simulating stabbing the guy in the neck. And then he just threw the body down. And all I could think of was this is exactly what 
you know, I've seen on the street, you know, in the streets of Boston, I saw a guy get stabbed. I've seen a couple of guys, you know, real violence has happened before, but I've never seen anybody training for something that looked like real violence. And so it immediately intrigued me. And, um, you know, long story short, but, uh, you know, we brought him in and this guy was a former 173rd Charlie guy from uh, Vietnam. And that, that unit got a lot of, a lot of, uh, coverage back then a lot of combat coverage and uh this guy was in the tunnels and all that stuff and he intimately understood violence he intimately understood how to integrate you know the combat soldier with his tools so that everything works together meaning you start him out completely stripped down to your basically your just boxers and your t-shirt and once you can take care of yourself with your own human machine when i start giving you back tools you're even that more effective and that was just a really, really cool concept. And it completely changed the way I looked at, um, you know, how, how to deal with, you know, a, a threat from another human. Interesting. So it all started with this mad, the mad master. Vietnam. Yeah, it wasn't mad. There, there, you know what it is? It's, it's anytime somebody really understands lethal application, oftentimes they're seen as uh, a little bit off because nobody likes to talk about the subject of violence. Um, and you know, like some of the top snipers that I've talked to, you know, got, you know, friends of mine, oftentimes people just say how intense these guys are, how, you know, how, how they come off. And it's not that it's just a familiarity with the subject. They're very comfortable with the subject that most people are extremely uncomfortable with. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you, you, you started, you, you found this guy, so you brought him into the training and then from there, uh, you've developed what you call target focus training. Uh, can you, I mean, briefly describe uh, what target focus training is and how it differs from other uh, combatives that are out there? Yeah, there's, there's probably two focuses with us. First, we focus on, um, you know, I got to educate the client first. And the first thing that I do if, if you come through the doors is we quickly identify the difference between antisocial aggression and asocial violence. Antisocial aggression is really what a lot of people go to martial arts training for and uh, you know, and, 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 you know, fighting and, and MMA training. It's, it's really basically, you know, I got picked on in school or the bully, he said something to me at the bar and I want to teach him a lesson. You kick sand in your face, right? Yeah. And and how do I do it? Charles Atlas thing. Yeah. And, uh, that stuff really, I I just lump all that stuff in antisocial aggression, which is completely avoidable. Meaning you have to choose to participate in that. Somebody insults you or drops a drink on you or calls you, uh, or, or, you know, says something offensive to you and you choose to participate when you have an exit, that's a choice to use violence. And it's just, it's, it's just never worth it. You know, I know oftentimes everybody thinks it's great, but I can just give you horror stories of people on both ends of the equation, guys that did that ended up inadvertently killing the individual or vice versa. You know, they end up getting seriously grievous bodily harm over something that, doesn't pass what I call the three-day test, meaning three days from now, is this incident going to matter to you? And, and very few things do. Now, the other side of the equation that we talk about, which we're kind of more known for because that's what gets us the press, is, is anti or asocial violence. And that's where it's imminent. Violence is imminent. There's no escape. You have to take action. If you don't take action, you're essentially participating in your own murder because you're going to be facing grievous bodily harm. And this is the area that makes everybody kind of uncomfortable. You know, it's the unthinkable that's happening. And how do you deal with imminent violence? How do you deal with another human being or human beings coming at you 
And, you know, the assumption always has to be the person's going to be, the threat's going to be bigger, faster, and stronger. We assume they're going to carry weapons, and we assume that there's going to be more than one um, because that's just the real world. And if any of those things aren't true, then, hey, that's a, that's a Christmas gift to you. That's fantastic, you know. But if we go off of that premise, we say, okay, what type of, what type of methods and principles work in that environment? And you really come back to the idea of the vulnerability of the human body, which gets exposed in sports injury. If you look at sports injury data, you find all the areas of the human body that can't take trauma. I was intimately familiar with this as a young, you know, sealed candidate going through. I was, like I said, I was the number one guy in my class. I was going to be the, um, the anchor man. I was getting the award, which is the number one guy in each class that, that graduates. I was unstoppable. And yet I was stopped dead in my tracks by an injury, something that I couldn't will. I couldn't work through. We just gut it out. It was a physiological breaking of a sensory system of my body that just couldn't be fixed. Um, and that's really what you want to look at. When you're facing a bigger, faster, stronger threat, you're going to have to put an injury on them that takes their brain, their will, everything out of the equation. Um, and, and that's really kind of the whole focus on how we look at the subject matter. That's why it's called target focus training. You target specific yeah. areas in the body. Yeah. Well, all we do is where do you put the effort, basically? Yeah. You know, if I'm going to do something where somebody will sit there and they'll show something that looks aggressive. A lot of people like to show aggressive type stuff. And when I look at that, it's just mindless. I look at it as mindless aggression. The same slam that you just did to the guy's chest, you know, if you just moved it up three inches, you'd crush his throat. You know, and it's a completely different response to something like that if your life's on the line. Um, one could just potentially annoy the person. The other one will absolutely incapacitate them so that you can put another injury on them and save your life. Hmm. So here's a question that I had when you were talking about um, antisocial aggression and asocial violence. I mean, how do you develop the ability to distinguish between the two? Because some people might take antisocial aggression as, you know, asocial violence. Uh, I mean, what I mean, are there signs in human behavior when you know that this is turning into, it's, you know, shifting from aggression to violence? Yeah, it, it, it essentially, it's very, it, it's actually very straightforward. It just comes down to choice. Meaning, if you have to ask yourself, is this the time to use violence? It's not. It, there won't be a question in your mind when it happens. Let me give you a quick example. Um, I train all over the world. And when I was in London, uh, I go there, I used to go there all the time. Um, and... In 2000, I believe it was 2005, an incident rocked London. A young lawyer got stabbed to death in a park. He came home at night. Um, he actually lived in a good part of London and went through a park that was not a dangerous park. This wasn't a, a dodgy area at all. But that night, he was followed by two Eastern European gangsters who saw him as a, just an opportunity. You know, he's a nicely dressed kid. And, uh, you know, he was the first one in his family to even get beyond basic education. He took it all the way to university, became a lawyer, was extremely you know, successful. It was a great story as a person, you know, the achievement this kid had. As he's walking through the park, these guys come up behind him, draw knives, pin him up against a tree and demand all his stuff, you know, and this kid does everything right. He gives him the watch, the wallet. Um, he gives them, uh, you know, the, the briefcase they wanted and they left. And everybody loves that part of the story. The second time they came back, their knives, their knives were drawn, their heads were down. They rushed him and stabbed him 47 times. 
And as he was being stabbed, the, the people said as they were hearing him scream, he was screaming, I gave you everything, I gave you everything. My goal for any client is to understand the difference between those two situations. And in the first situation, you have an opportunity to engage somebody socially and possibly use your social skills to talk your way out of the situation. In the second situation, the only tool that's going to get you out of that is violence. And you have to know how to use it because it's imminent. Yeah. And so that, uh, in that case, you would go for, I mean, I guess, like, I guess the thing is like you, you were talking about, you would punch, a th- punch a throat, uh, groin attacks, I guess would be something, would eye gouges be involved in, uh, yeah, in this? All of that's, all of that's available to you. you basically, you're looking at the, 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 when you're, when you're putting an injury in the human body, you're either destroying a structure of the human body or you're destroying a sensory system of the human body. Okay. And, and, and you're doing it in a way that, the pain part of it's irrelevant, meaning because everybody has a different threshold of pain. It's functionality that you're destroying. You want to make sure that when you, uh, you know, if you're going to slam a guy and, and you're going you're gonna to go after his ankle, that you're ripping the connective tissue to the point to where, you know, any, any radiologist looking at the film would just sit there and say, hey, I don't care whether this guy feels it or not. He's not going to be able to walk on that. All right. And that's, that's really what you're looking at. And it's a very different approach because... A lot of times people talk about pain and they talk about, you know, rushing somebody and, and doing things that are just, they look aggressive, but they're highly ineffective. Mm. So you're, we're, we're going for like maiming, right? So this is. Well, you're going, you're going for a result. Yeah. And, and again, you know, it sounds like it's overly aggressive. It sounds like, you know, you're, you're, you're just teaching people to automatically go into kill mode. And that's not the case at all. What we found is the more people are trained, you know, when we were originally training just military and law enforcement, when we, the, the higher up they were in the skill set of justified lethal force, the less likely they were to have uh, reports of excessive force on the job or, um, you know, any type of uh, incidents outside of the job as far as getting into fights or anything like that. Because once you understand how the human body responds to trauma, it's not one of those uh, things that you want to try out. You know, it's, it's, it's akin to, you know, going out in the range, shooting a forty-five, and then, you know, asking yourself, well, gee, I don't really know if this would work. Maybe I'll just blow a hole in the guy next to me to see if it's, you know, going to work. It's, it's that ridiculous, meaning once you understand how the body responds to trauma and you see this, and, and then we have numerous videos of, you know, sports injuries and also real violence showing just how quickly the body shuts down when it's truly injured. Um, that's the skill set you want to build when your life's on the line. Interesting. Okay, so, uh, I mean, is this something you can train at home by yourselves or do you need to have a, a, a you know, go to a gym or a, I don't know, what do you call it? A dojo? I don't know what you call it. Um, and it, because like research has shown like in, on, for tactical training to be like really, really effective, uh, you need to make it as real as possible. So it's, you know, military and LEOs, they'll sometimes use sim munition and have like a 3D arena, right? Um, how do you do that with tra- target focus training without killing your partner? Well, that, you know, it's funny. Like people, uh, when they when they approach this type of, of idea, this training, you know, I guess it, what's really funny to me when I look at like you know combat sports and MMA in general, everybody wants to go ballistic right out of the gate. Hey, you got to be real. You got to be real. You got to stress you out right away. It's just like there's no training, no lethal training that's ever done that way. Only jack off training is done that way. M- meaning. You would not go to a range and, I, you know, I don't take you down to my kill house, basically, 
you know, load you up, load you up, you know, your first time, load you up, go, hey, yeah, you point the gun this way, throw you in the kill house and have people start shooting at you. Yeah. Which is essentially the way most people try to train combat sports, which is ridiculous. Um, the good guys learn that you have to be slow, deliberate at first to lock in all the correct movement. And then so you do the, you know, it's special operations, you basically do the crawl, the walk and the run. And so if I was shooting, I would first make sure that I've locked in everything so that I can actually hit my target statically as many times as possible with no stress, just doing that. Then I'll probably start to dynamically move a little bit. I'll start moving and shooting a little bit. Okay, I get comfortable doing that. Now the target's going to start moving. And then the last thing we're going to do is we'll, we'll do the simunition uh, training. But you would not step into that process until you really built a really good foundation. And it doesn't take a long time to do that. You know, uh, you know, learning that. But we start out, you know, with people slowly and deliberately learning how to engage body weight into each one of these areas. And all the only thing we pull out at the beginning is just the velocity, meaning going full speed. If you look at a lot of, you know, quote unquote, reality self-defense, it just it looks it looks ridiculous. Sorry about that. You know? Yeah. It just looks ridiculous. These guys are doing these these static movements and they're making real aggressive sounds and ha 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 ha. And then just slap on a video of a prison yard takedown and see how those guys go. And they don't go like that. They don't fight like that. They don't kill like that. They kill slow and deliberate. I got a great video of the black gorilla family members, two of them, and they're sitting there simulating stabbing to the human body. And they're doing it slow and deliberate. And they're doing it in kind of not the most obvious parts of the human body. Uh, and when the corrections officer, who's a really good friend of mine, was showing me this, he goes, hey, what are they doing? I said, well, they're obviously teaching themselves how to stab. And he goes, yeah. He goes, but why are they stabbing where they're stabbing? And I said, uh, I don't know. Is, is there something, something changed? He goes, yeah, something changed. He goes, we just got new body armor. He said, we just got new body armor and we had a call out yesterday that we thought was kind of suspicious. And he said, all they wanted to do was see our new equipment. And he goes, now they saw where the gaps are in the body armor and they're practicing that if they ever have to go up against us, they know where to stab. And it wasn't ballistic. It wasn't, it was slow, methodical. Make sure you get it in there because what most people understand they have to use this stuff to protect themselves is you have to get it right. You have to tell your brain exactly what you want it to do and lock that movement in first. The brain doesn't care about speed. The brain just says, what do you want me to make the body do? And so once you lock that in, the last dynamic you add into anything is the velocity, you know, and you can do it. But, but why sacrifice the accuracy up front for this spastic, good feel, gee, I feel aggressive? Yeah, that, that's scary about the the gang calling out the police just to take a look at the body armor. Oh, yeah. It's just, listen, the best information comes from the worst people. I, I'm currently putting together a book uh, where I'm, I'm interviewing a lot of these guys. And what's really funny is, is when, not funny, well, funny to me, but I've interviewed a lot of the top combat sport guys in the world. I'm interviewing a lot of the top uh, law enforcement military trainers. They're friends of mine. I have a lot of circles, you know, friends. But what's most interesting is when you get into the prison and you talk to the gang guys, the guys that are killing, the guys that have to kill, violence is a commodity to them. It's, it's, it's currency. It's their power. They are very specific. They train anatomy. 
They go in these areas because they don't have time. They're not doing it because they want to, you know, learn the human body. They want to know where do I put the effort in? You know, if I've, if I've set up this kill, if it's, you know, taking me six months to set this up and I'm going to get one shot at this guy, I want to make sure that he's dead before the response team is there. How do I do that? And so they look at things, they study anatomy, you know, and they, they narrow, you know, if I have a, if I have a shank, I want to know where to put it. If I'm going to break something on him, where am I going to go? Um, and, and they just, they, they do it with a complete intent. This is where you get really the roadmap. You know, if you really understand, you know, violence, I tell people all the time, the worst way to, to figure out, um, what kind of training works is to watch training videos because everybody's going to make themselves look good or canned, or they're going to make it look impressive. What you need to do is you need to watch video as distasteful as it is of real violence, of people doing real violence and what really works. How do people really stab each other? How do they break each other? How do they beat each other down? And does your training replicate that? Meaning if you're facing a threat like that, because let's be honest, that's the threat we're really training for. We're not training for a competition threat. Um, if that's the threat we're training for, do my principles and methods handle a situation like that and very few people do you know a lot of it is just especially in reality self-defense world it's all about you know basically chest lumping and you know questionable methods um combat sports is fantastic you know but combat sports to in order to be combat sports i mean the ufc has 31 rules i believe right now at least last time i looked there's 31 27 of those rules took out injury to the human body Hmm. You know, and that says a lot because you can't gamify violence if you have injury in it, you know, because it would just be over. I mean, the reality of violence is very boring. It's very straightforward. It's 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 horrific. Um, but it's absolutely essential if your life's on the line. You know, my grandfather was this South Boston boxer and he's a young kid. I mean, I was like four years old when he started telling me this. He would always say to us, boys, this is what you do in the ring. And he loved boxing. And he'd say, this is what you do in the ring. But out here, and he'd point to the street, he says, if anybody tries to get you out here, this is what you do. And what he essentially started showing us was injury to the human body, you know, and um, and that's it. Now, the challenge is how do we put this into context that makes you sane and social? You know, I mean, for a sane social individual, how do you how do you engage them in this subject without them thinking that you're turning them into a sociopath? Uh, and that's the challenge. And, and the idea is you got to show it in the absolute right context. Um, you know, if I sat there and said, OK, guy came up, he poured a drink on me and, you know, called my mom uh, a whore. So I reached up, grabbed his head, gouged his eye out. You know, you'd sit there and go, oh, shit, you know. <laughs> and then if I said, hey, I was coming in, I was waiting five minutes for this parking parking space. This guy came out. He just jammed in right away, stole my parking space. I got out of the car, ripped him out of the car, gouged his eye out. You'd sit there and go, okay, you know. But if I say, hey, I'm at Sandy Hook. The guy, the shooters just dropped down for a reload. I saw my opportunity. He'd already shot five kids. I shot, saw my opportunity. I was able to close distance, get on him. And the first thing I saw was his eye and I was able to gouge it out. And that's what incapacitated him. And I was able to get him under control. All of a sudden, nobody's laughing. Nobody's, nobody's thinking, oh my God. They're thinking, oh, hey, that's exactly what you need to do in a, in a time like that. And you need to know when to, to deploy something like that. Unfortunately, there's a lot of 
good information out there shown in the wrong context. They show it in the context of a bar fight. They show it in the context of all that's avoidable, stuff that will absolutely get you arrested if you're lucky enough to be arrested at that point. And that's and therefore what happens is general society looks at that information and says, oh, okay, I don't want to go to jail, so I'm going to dismiss that because, you know, that is thug behavior. You know, with the challenges, you have to put it in the right context. And when it's in the right context, it becomes abundantly clear that this is a skill set that's absolutely necessary. So training for this sort of thing, it's just slow and deliberate. Like you're doing that slow motion fighting that you yes. talked about, like play. Like I mean, it looks like a slow motion movie fight, basically. That's what you're kind of, well, you're doing. Yeah. And yeah. And no, that is, okay. that is how you, that's how you set, that's how you begin. Okay. okay? So, so basically I, I go back to that firearms example because firearms is, 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 is perfect. Firearms training at first is extremely slow and deliberate. Yeah. Because you got to get the feedback before you can do all the cool combat shooting. Before you can do all that stuff, you got to lock everything in, all your muscle movement in. You got to make sure that you, you can consistently have groupings that are, are consistent before you add in any dynamics. Okay. You know, you don't, you don't add in moving and shooting at the same time if you, you know, if you haven't mastered static shooting yet. Um, you can't have somebody engaging you back. You can't have force on force like you were talking about until you know how to move and shoot and then move and shoot against moving targets. And, and you engage that. So you stair step somebody for success first and give them the skill sets. And then you can absolutely ramp it up and you can absolutely pressure. You know, I, I hate to talk pressure test because I see what these idiots do for pressure testing in my industry. And it cracks me up. You know, it's like, oh, I'm sitting at the bar and. And he comes at me, so I glass him in the eye, and I do. It's like, dude, just go to jail, you idiot, <laughs> you know. And, and and people will dismiss that, and it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like a tough guy. And most of these guys would basically piss their pants if they ever were in a situation like that, you know. Their their training is just ridiculous. It's not real. It's not. There's nothing realistic about that because when you look at real violence, people don't operate that way. They don't go, hey, you, well, and do all this. It, it's like a bunch of. It's like a bunch of sheep running around, you know, yelling at each other, trying to pretend to be wolves. And then you see the wolf just kind of standing in the background, you know, quietly slipping the knife out as he's just picking who he wants. You know, that's the guy to worry about, not the loudmouth that's that's running around. The guy to worry about is that quiet little dude that just you would never think anything of. And he will easily slip out, you know, some sort of a device and just has no problem putting it into you right away. You know, and, and that's the idea. When you understand how real violence works, it's not about being bigger, faster, and stronger. You know, those things help. Don't get me wrong. You know, I, I'm not saying that. But we have to assume that if we are facing, if we personally are facing bigger, faster, and stronger, the person or persons coming against us, that doesn't matter to them. They don't see that as a threat. Um, so, therefore, you know, you have to be, be able to, you know, respond in a manner that bypasses you know, having to be bigger, faster, and stronger. You do that through injury. And we've all experienced it. You know, I've got uh, twin daughters right now. They're one year, year old, and I have a three-and-a-half-year-old boy. And they're just bundles of uncontrolled energy, you know, and you'll... Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made to measure suit. Suits started at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made to measure shirts starting at just $89. 
So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the Masterclass on Negotiation with Chris Voss. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Hold them and... They'll throw their heads back, they'll poke you in the eye, they'll do something, 
that as a fully grown adult will actually injure you at times, you know, temporarily. <laughs> yeah. On it. But I mean, it, and it's not intentional at all. Yeah. But, you know, if we if I sat there and I mean, the ridiculous scenario of putting me in the ring with, say, my one year old daughter and, you know, a ref saying go, I think we all know how that would turn out. But if I give that little girl the opportunity to poke me in the eye, you know, because I don't feel a threat towards her. So I, I, I put something vulnerable close to her and she can exploit it. She can easily injure me. You know, um, probably one of the things that grabbed me when I was a kid uh, was I, I used to read boxing books all the time. I, anything I could get on boxing. And Jack Dempsey has a great book. You can get it on the Internet uh, for free. It's called Championship Fighting. And one of the, one of the, the um, graphics in it is literally a trucker, you know, an, an old style trucker guy. You know, he says about a 200 pound trucker. And it's this guy kind of with a flat cap walking along. Looks like, an, you know, like a, like a trucker that you'd see like in a Three Stooges comedy or something. And then there's this baby just falling on top of his head. It's this picture of a baby falling on top of his head. And Dempsey's point was, he said, even a 10-pound baby that falls out a two-story window can easily take out a 200-pound burly trucker, you know, coming out. And, and he was trying to show that, hey, body weight into a part of the body that can't take that is going gonna, is gonna to get you a huge result every time. And it does not matter uh, necessarily that the person is bigger, faster, and stronger because that part of their body cannot take the trauma and they're going to have to physiologically react to that. And it's going to take their brain out of the equation during that reaction to the trauma. Um, we see it all the times in sports. You see in combat sports all the time, guys will be going, you know, eight rounds of hard boxing and then somebody lands a liver punch. And here's this guy who's taken all this nonspecific trauma for eight rounds, gets one shot to the liver and he just drops to his knees. He's completely immobilized. You know, um, you see it all the time in uh, MMA. You'll see a guy roll up and snap a guy's ankle by accident. Um, and it's over at that point. You know, and yet before that, you had guys viciously going after each other, really trying to compete. But as soon as injury enters the game, the bigger, faster, stronger goes right out the window. So you've uh, sort of alluded to this throughout our conversation. Um but in, how do you prepare psychologically or mentally for violent attacks? Because right, it's like something that most people like won't experience in their life, right? You know, yep. it's it's a. I mean, we like the news makes it sound like the world is like a really really big scary place, but generally you're not going to happen. But it's it, it could happen, right? So you want to be prepared. How do you prepare for that, right? Whenever you don't face it on a daily or regular basis? Yeah, you basically, uh, like my clients, what I have them do is, uh, you know, uh, you, there's, there's a couple of drills that you can do. Um, one is when you watch an act of violence, be it movie, TV, internet, there's nothing to be learned from the victim's point of view. So the idea, what most people do is they see a vicious attack. And they'll sit there and say, well, geez, you know, maybe if he had done this, he could have avoided that strike or maybe he could have done this. It's really interesting when you went into the prison systems and we started interviewing some of the guys and you show them an act of violence. They never see themselves on the receiving end. Ever. Hmm. They will only see themselves as the one successfully using the tool of violence. And the only thing they will say is they'll either say, yeah, that's how I would have done it or, yeah, he's not as good. I would have done it this way. 
And so they see themselves making improvements on the use of the tool in the situation. And there's a lot to be learned from that very uncomfortable piece of knowledge. Meaning, in your brain, you don't ever want to associate with the losing side of violence. That's really what makes predators dangerous is they don't go into it with a defensive mindset. They don't go into it with an idea that it could be done to them. Because, again, that's not a good survival mode. You want to go in with the idea, this is what I'm going to do to you. So you have to focus on what you do to the other person versus that. Now, it's a very good mental drill that you can get involved in right away. It'll be extremely uncomfortable to most people at first because it sounds like you're validating the attack that's going on. And that's not the case at all. You're training your mind to only look at violence from the successful side of it. How is it successfully used and what can I learn from that? And it starts to inoculate you. From a training aspect, uh, I've had tons of people that have gone through that have never had an act of violence in their life, literally never had a fought in their life. But because of the way this information was out, when the unthinkable happened, they were able to go right into an injury, just one injury, and that led to another injury, and that led to them saving their own life. Um, It's the methodology of what you expose. You know, it's how you do it. You notice that when I was talking about the Black Gorilla family, they didn't start out stabbing really hard and fast. They made sure that they knew exactly where they wanted to go. They wanted to know, okay, here's the vulnerable areas. Here's where we can get the best entry. Here's how we can go. It wasn't until they had that well underway that they started to employ dynamic movement into it. And, and that, that's all I'm saying. I don't have a problem with people going hard and, you know, quote unquote, pressure testing. But doing that prior to setting the skill set in is just, it's just masturbation. You know, it, it doesn't do anything other than it makes you feel like, wow, I had a rush. I, I went crazy. I went ballistic. I hit the Roby robot looking guy <laughs> 50,000 times and, and all my friends high five me, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's bullshit training. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's all there is because it doesn't replicate real violence and, and you as a citizen, you don't have to live it to be prepared for it. You just have to understand how the tool operates, you know, and that's the most important thing. And it starts to inoculate you towards it, you know. So I guess a summary, like never see yourself as the defender, always see yourself as an attacker. So I don't even look at it as it's attacker and defender. Uh, you know, it's those terms that, that look at people uh, in violence as good guy, bad guy. You know, the okay. attacker is always the bad guy. Defender is always the good guy. That's bullshit. In violence, there's winners and losers. And that's it. And you always want to be identified on the winning side of violence. And that doesn't mean you're condoning it. And, it's, and like I said, let me emphasize this again. <laughs> the best information that you're going to find on how to use a tool of violence comes from the worst parts of society because it's currency for them. So should you watch like footage of like gang fights or jail fights? I mean, is that something that would be useful? It's extremely useful in the fact that you can see, first of all, it, it blows through a lot of myths. Um, you can watch like a guy, uh, you can watch some clips of guys instructing knife fighting, you know, like, uh, you know, just martial artists or combat sport guys out there showing you, you know, how to use a knife and all the knife things. And then you sit there and you watch an MS-13 member go in and shank some guy just hard and fast and have them bleed out really fast. And you go, oh, my God, that looks nothing like what those idiots were just showing me. And I will put the best, quote, unquote, knife fighter in the world up against an Aryan brother with a shank. And I know who I'm going to bet on. I know one guy knows how to kill. I know another guy knows how to dance around and do things. And I'm not denigrating a lot of that. Uh, 
it's just not realistic. It's okay to learn something for the art of what you're learning. That's all right. I have no problem with that. There's a lot of great things you can learn. Um, you know, learning how to use a, a sword, using how to use different tools and weapons, and, and learning the history behind the art that you're learning. But to sit there and say that's how you would use it to save your life is just a fallacy. Yeah. All right, so here's a question I have for you. Whenever we write about combatives on the site, uh, be it Krav Maga or something else like that, and and you're using it to defend your life or the life of a loved one, we always get a bunch of comments from dudes who will say something like, I'll just shoot them with my gun, right? Why learn a martial art like target focus training when if you are carrying a gun, right, you're, you're concealed carry, can't you just shoot the guy? Okay, so I got a concealed carry. I got it in the maximum amount of states available. I'm big on firearms. I have a another firearms business here in Vegas. You know, a, a big uh, you know machine gun Vegas uh, that we have that you can shoot any kind of machine gun in the world. I have guys that can build me anything legally that I want in the world. And let me just tell you, and I also travel around the world, and my concealed carry is pretty useless to me in most parts of the world. Um, and I'm saying even in the United States because it's either not convenient all the time. Even when I do carry, there's lots of gun and free zones that you have to deal with. And the reason we have to deal with that is because we are law abiding citizens. And you just have to you just have to realize that. Now, if I could drive around in an M1 tank fully loaded every day, I'd do it. It would be fantastic. But that's you know just not realistic. So I don't want people to think I'm anti firearms. I'm not at all. I'm very pro firearms. What Training in, uh, you know, something like target focus training does for you is every skill set that you learn, at least with us, translates directly to make you that much better with a firearm. So the targeting that you get, learning your brain, how, you know, how, how to use your brain to identify the targets and then using the tools of your body to affect the injury on there gets you into that idea of targeting, you know, the idea of constant targeting of effective areas of the human body. And that just makes you that much better when you have something that can then project that through distance with a firearm. Um, also, there's lots of situations where if your first move is to try to dig out your firearm, you're already done. They've already, they've already taken you out at that point. Um, whereas it's very effective to know close in how to injure somebody first, get them busy, and then it's very easy for you to deploy your firearm after that. Um, the problem is most of the training where people show, you know, to get their gun, they show pushing or they show really ineffective strikes uh, that are not going to work if somebody's determined to get after you at that point. Um, we did a huge thing uh, with, uh, I have a bunch of friends in the Australian SAS and they have a really good program on close in shooting. And it was amazing how synergistic the TFT program and their close in shooting program was with the idea that, as you close distance, um, if the gun is not in your hand, it's not your first order of defense. Your first order is always your body and, and getting out there. And so here are these guys that are at the highest level of tactical training, and they all feel that it's absolutely essential that you train your body first, you train your mind first, coordinate your body, and then you can put tools into your body at that point. You can, anything's there. But if you, if you only are reliant on a tool, a firearm, if that thing's not available to you, what do you have? You have nothing now. And so it's just, it just, you know, really just increases your, your abilities all around. If you, if you have this information and you know how to deploy it with your, just your human machine. Yeah. Didn't the FBI do a study where they found that like 
it's like takes like five seconds to close like a 20 yard gap. I mean, it was something like that, right? Where someone's really yeah, close to cool. you, you, you cool. really, you don't have time to draw your gun. Yeah. It's a, it's 21 foot rule. It's a tooler drill. They, they talk about that. And what's interesting about that is I, I have a clip that I share with people all the time. The guy that invented that, that drill that you're talking about, the only reason they picked 21 feet was because that's how far they were shooting. They were shooting seven yards. And the question was, hey, if a guy could a guy close distance in 21 yards before you get your, night, your, your gun out and shoot him. And they did that and they quickly found that the guys trying to deploy the weapon, even really good shooters, uh, were getting stabbed, you know, um, uh, distantly. And so that it, the, the length actually goes even further if you, you know, if you have your concealed carry in such a manner that you're not used to drawing it. So how long does it take you to actually deploy your weapon at that point? And most people don't train that. Um, what's interesting though, is the guys that take, that can take action out of the gate without having to go to the tool first are usually the guys that end up, you know, taking out the threat. And, you know, what I mean is imminent dangers coming in a guy say, I'll give you a perfect example. There was a SWAT, uh, there, there was a SWAT, uh, warrant that was issued and SWAT team went and cleared the house. They missed one area of the house as the detectives went in to kind of do the follow-up. A uh, guy opened up a, a, uh, a closet door and a guy literally came at him with an axe. His first move was to his holster and the axe just came right down and split his skull Jeez. and they killed him, killed him right away. Had his first move been forward at that point, attacking, you know, some vulnerable part of the guy's body, which he easily could have done, um, then, you know, this, the, the cop probably would still be alive today. At that point, but again, you'll do what you train. And if your first thing is, "Hey, my only way to defend myself is if I if I reach down and get to this tool in an environment where it's just too close," you know, you, you're just not going to get the result that you want. Right. So, tools don't win battles; people win battles. Humans. Yeah, yeah. It's your it's your it's your mind for you know. It sounds it sounds like you're doing semantics, but it's absolutely true. You have to train your mind, coordinate your body first before you put any tool on it. Okay. At that point. And you have to be able to do it with just your human body first. And then, it's, and then tools are great because tools make the work that much easier. That's why we put tools in our hands. They do something that our bare hands can't do. But we first have to know what can our bare hands do and under what conditions can our bare hands help us. All right. This is very good stuff. Um, so I know you're not a lawyer, uh, but I'd like to get your insights on the legal consequences of using you know, pretty much lethal hand-to-hand force on an attacker. Um, is that something someone should consider uh, or keep in mind when they do something, you know, when they protect themselves? Or should you just not, not care at all and just like, okay, I gotta, I'll got i have to pay the defense attorney or whatever? Yeah, well, that, that, that's always, it puts, put it it's always smart if you have a defense attorney. You know, I know a lot of guys um, advocate, you know, having somebody on retainer ahead of time just to understand the laws in your specific area. You know, across the U.S., the castle law is pretty, um, pr- pretty prominent. Meaning, you as a, a citizen, I'm not talking about a uh, a professional like a police officer, military, anybody like that. But but as a, a citizen uh, being attacked, you have pretty much carte blanche to protect yourself. If you're in imminent danger, if your life is literally on the line, you really feel that your life is on the line, then you have justified means to protect yourself up to you know killing the individual. Now, what's interesting is the methods that we teach with, with target focus, you're always going for the response, meaning, you know, you see what you're doing. You understand when you go to these parts of the human body, if you're successful, 
here's what you're doing to the human body. You're not going to do anything that's going to go against your moral code. I Meaning, you're not going to just murder somebody. You know, you may end up killing somebody, but it's a very different term. Killing is a justified um, uh, stance, whereas murder is never justified. Um, so, you familiarize yourself with that, but the way you keep yourself out of a lot of the problems is avoiding the avoidable. The people that really get themselves in gray areas are these people that use violence in a situation that when you're explaining to the judge just seems ridiculous. You know, uh, the one years ago, I don't know if, if you heard of this one, but it was the hockey dad in like early 2000s. Um, a dad, he's a big guy, was watching his hockey coach, uh, you know, coach his kid. And he thought the coach was just really abusive. And at one point he grabbed his son on the ice and was yelling at him and just, he thought the dad just thought he was too violent. Well, he jumped over onto the ice, went over there, grabbed the hockey, the, the hockey coach and they got into it right then and there fighting. When the hockey coach hit the guy to the face, he, the, the, the father jumped on top of the guy and got him to the ground and then just repeatedly started like grabbing his shoulders and slamming the guy you know, back and forth, you know, kind of, uh, you know, like in a, almost in a schoolyard way, you know, he's on top of him, just slamming him. What he didn't realize was every time he slammed him, he was slamming the back of his skull against the ice. He ended up, the guy ended up going into a coma and dying. And, you know, he, obviously that family lost their dad. The other family lost their dad to man, involuntary manslaughter, seven years in prison over a situation that, yes, is it hard for me as a father to see somebody be, you know, what I think is abusive to my son and over the top? Yeah. But does it pass the three-day test? It, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and, and so that incident is, is something where, you know, inadvertent expectations, you have no idea. Once you cross that physical plane, you put your hands on somebody, it could go anywhere. And you have to be prepared for that. And you have to sit there and say, okay, is it justified for me to take action in this? Is this something that I don't, you know, I don't have choice here. I'm, I'm facing grievous bodily harm. Um, if, in that case, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but in that case, and in my experience, you're, you're in great territory. We just had a 52-year-old dentist who came through training, never trained in martial arts or anything before, came to us, went through one of our weekend courses, got all, all of this done. Four weeks later, he walks in on a Sunday to his practice just because he wanted to do some paperwork, catch up for the week, sees this guy breaking into his pharmacy, realizes right away the guy draws a knife, charges him, and this guy goes, oh, my God, this is it. This is exactly what they were talking about. No communication. This is asocial. He was able to drop, and he saw as the guy was coming in, he was able to strike him to the side of the neck. Uh, the guy dropped the knife, and as he dropped the knife, he grabbed the guy's head. He rammed it into the door jam and dropped him. The guy dropped down and just when he was about to do the next strike where he thought he was going to stomp him, uh, you know, like in the throat area, because that's where the guy dropped, he realized, oh, hey, the guy's completely non-functional. He's out cold. I don't have to do this. And he recognized it right away. Now, we didn't show him grabbing the head and ramming it into the door jam. He just understood that, hey, that would produce a, a, a useful injury to me at that point. He understood the principles of injury to the human body. He also understood when it was over at that point and was able to do that. And we've had tons of civilian clients that have had the same experience, meaning they had to take action and they were able to stop and recognize the point where the other person was non-functional, no longer a threat, and they were completely justified. What was interesting was in that one I told you about, when the cops showed up and they saw this guy's rap sheet, who he was, 
they looked at the they looked at this dentist and they said you would have been absolutely justified in killing him. He said this guy's there, and it was it, it really set the, the dentist back. You know, he didn't really expect the cops to say that, but that's exactly what they told him. Wow, that that's crazy. Um, all right, Tim. So uh, we've been talking for a while, and I know your time is short, but so let's wrap it up. Before we go, um, where can folks learn more about your work? And do you have anything? You mentioned you're working on a book. Uh, any insights about that? What's going to be in it? Yeah, I'm working on a book that really talks about the the subject of violence and really helps clarify, uh, you know, the different approaches, you know, the different approaches from the combat sport world. I have tons of friends in the combat sport world, and they've shared their insights on how that applies to real violence. Then the military and law enforcement community, um, I have a lot of friends that I'm interviewing right now, and they're sharing their methods and principles and and challenges on how to uh, train their people to deal with real violence. And then I'm going right into the heart of the, the, you know, the situation and I'm talking to uh, the prison gangs and contacts within the prison gangs on how they look at violence and how they use violence as a currency and I'm comparing and contrasting all that information and it should be a, uh, again it, it, the the goal of the book is to is to really just talk about the subject and, and get it out of this idea that it's a stigmatized subject meaning we've stigmatized violence so much in the last 50 years that the only people that have access to the tools are the worst parts of society, the predators. And because we've, we've told ourselves that it's bad to learn the, this information, uh, we don't have it available to us when we're being attacked. And again, it also take care of a lot of unnecessary violence. I truly believe the more trained people are in this type of information, the much more peaceful society will have. Interesting. All right. Well, that's awesome. Well, I'm looking forward. And where can uh, do you have? You have, a, you have a website, right? Where can people go? Yeah, yeah. They can get me. It's either either two places: uh, timlarkin.com, just my name, or targetfocustraining.com. Either place will get you lots of free information. I would suggest anybody just signing up for. You know, I'd love to sell your products. I'd love to sell my book. But really, uh, if this was interesting to you and you want more information, there's a lot of free content if you just sign up for our uh, you know our newsletter. And, um, you know, take the time to really read about this. And, and then, you know, if you like it and you see a product that makes sense, there's lots of great stuff there. Awesome. Well, Tim Larkin, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brett. Our guest today was Tim Larkin. Tim is a self-defense instructor and the creator of Target Focus Training, as well as the author of several books on self-defense. You can find out more information about Tim and his program at targetfocustraining.com. <laughs> Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And uh, also, I'd love for you to check out our store, store store.artofmanliness.com. We got some great new products there. Uh, We just added some really cool Semper Virilis tie clips. Look really classy. Check them out. Your purchases there will help support the podcast as well as the content on the site. So I'd really appreciate that. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sometimes it takes a different approach. 
to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.